How are you now? How are things a groins? How are you keeping? Are you enjoying the new series? I have to apologise for the state of my voice today. Um, It's not too bad now, actually. I'm presenting an interview to you now, which I only did this morning. And my voice was rough because I was taking the voice box a little longer to wake up. I'm recovering from a head cold. I'm fine. It's not coronavirus. Just a random old-fashioned head cold. Interview today. New interview. So it's not related to our current inquire series that we have going on now um but it's so i'm putting it out as a bonus episode so basically a few weeks ago i contacted the rathcrohan visitor center in tulsk my home village and i was like hey halloween is coming up um as some of you listeners may know this time last year me and misha put out a episode around Halloween and I was all like yo origins of Samhain happened just down the road for me cave of cats it's cool and I think pride for where you come from is something that comes up a lot for Misha and I because I don't know like coming from rural Ireland it's kind of just expected or given that you leave as soon as you come of age and like that's totally understandable like look at the recession look how many people left um even now there isn't great there aren't great employment opportunities i kind of sometimes refuse to accept that um like my new house i'm living in roscommon um i just i'm kind of stubborn that no i will find employment opportunities here in roscommon that interest me and that benefit me in the community and a big i just have a huge grow for the history of rathcrohan in tulsk and i just went to staff there who are extremely lovely you'll be hearing from them soon and said look Halloween is coming up I just find the whole history and folklore around this area to be extremely theatrical so would it be possible if I can create a little bit of a little bit of something theatrical whether that be a one woman monologue some storytelling sessions I wasn't sure but I pitched the idea to them anyways a typical rookie theatre artist. Um, and while they loved the idea and while they're fully ready to support it next year, they just didn't think that um, we had enough time. And we didn't. We had like four weeks. And in terms of planning and budgeting, um, you know, I might have come up with something maybe 20 minutes long, you know. Um so we'll, we're going to try it again next year, trying to bring an, a bit of, a bit of theatre to the centre. Um, so I'm going to have to start thinking about that. And they did say, this is Elaine who I'm talking to, um, who you're going to be hearing from soon. Um, she was mainly who I was talking to in the centre. She said, um, I like the look of your podcast. Maybe we can do something there. And I said, sure thing. Because me and Misha... Um, the episodes that you're hearing over the past couple of weeks, we all recorded them during the summer to be put out over the over the fall, um, as supported by Ross Common County Council, as you all know. Um, that was like the plan. And Misha is currently gone. Misha's gone. No, she's not gone. She's in Galway. <laughs> she's working. She is working in the art department of a film of a series, excuse me. And I can't wait to see it and I also can't wait for her to come home. Podcast came up and we said, right, let's do a freaking interview. Let's do it. Get yourself, someone else from the centre. Let's talk all things visitor centre. Let's talk all things history, geography, Tulsk, Rathcrohan, Kuchany, Maeve, Alil, Samhain, the Thonbo Kulinya. Let's dish it all up. And that is exactly what we're about to do. Um, you're in for a treat. If you're interested in the myths and legends and folklore around Samhain, particularly, you know, the Irish folklore around it. If you're interested in hearing about weird Halloween traditions that kind of infiltrate the weird stuff that we do for Halloween today. Um, if you're interested in Irish folklore, Irish geography, Irish history, it's all here. We talk about a cave, Owen the Gat, Cave of Cats. We're going to be talking about excavations, archaeology, pagan idols that have been unearthed from Roscommon's beautiful soil. 
and yeah just it's a great chat that appreciates it's a great intellectual chat that appreciates and explores my hometown um and yeah i just want to thank elaine and daniel so much and to all the staff at, at um, Rathcrohan visitor center for looking after me today and for a really lovely chat and i hope you enjoy it uh research interviewing sound engineering and editing by molly new misha i miss you um composition by bernard delamere and the two wonderful folks that you will be hearing from today from the center are elaine and daniel and i'm going to catch up with you in a bit to let you know about where you can find the centre online, how you can book yourself a tour. Yes, they're doing tours, particularly around the time of Samhain, that uh, go into the Cave of Cats, the route to the underworld, where it is said that the demons emerged on Halloween night. This episode of the podcast is also kindly supported by um, the Rathcrohan Visitor Centre. Thank you so much, guys. Hello to you all and welcome to this episode of Unfairness. I am here in Tulsk, in my own hometown, uh, at the Rathcrofton Visitor Centre, joined by Elaine and Daniel. Uh, we'll be talking a bit about history and folklore and sound today. So, guys, thank you so much for joining me today um, of a Tuesday morning where it's wet and windy outside. Um, do you mind telling me a bit about yourselves and a bit about the centre and the work that you do here? So, my name is Daniel Curley. I'm the manager of the Visitor Centre here at Rathcrohan, and I've been here for the last eight years. So... It's a multifunctional job in many respects. We can be doing everything from bringing people on guided tours out to Rathcrohan, through to ordering books, through to serving in the cafe and everything in between. Uh, my own background would be in history teaching and in archaeology. Um, I recently completed my um, doctoral research in archaeology. So it's something that I've a bit too much interest in <laughs> in some respects. And uh, yeah, it's really enjoyable and I'm very passionate about being able to bring people around and showing them the unique heritage that we have in our local area. Brilliant, thank you Daniel. And yourself Elaine? Um, my name is Elaine Conroy. Um, I'm a tour guide here at Rockcrohan Visitor Centre and Research Assistant. Um, I suppose my background originally is in hospitality, but I always had an interest in history. Um, so it took some time to go back to college and um, I've, uh, I studied archaeology in NUIG and then heritage studies in uh, GMIT in Castlebar. Um, so I have an honours uh, degree in that and um, yeah so I suppose the centre itself as Daniel mentioned it's I suppose a, a different thing every day really between bringing people out on tours giving them information about the area itself and um, the mythology and the archaeology as well as the history of the local area so um, quite a mix actually going yeah. on. Talk to me about the significance of the place of Rathcrohan it's described as Connacht's ancient capital. So why would it be described as so? So I suppose if you broke it into three different places, you've got you've got the archaeological landscape, um, which is very very numerous. There's two hundred and forty archaeological sites out there, which range in date from the early Neolithic period, so about five thousand five hundred years ago, up until the later medieval period, which is about four hundred five hundred years ago. Uh, and it shows that every generation for millennia have been seeing this place as incredibly important. You see that in the archaeology, then you also see it in the mythological and in the literary sources that back that up hugely with all these great tales and stories of Queen Maeve and the great Catherine of Cooley. And then the historical narrative sits alongside that as well as, as you get into the, you know, into the early medieval and the medieval period where you see the kings of Connacht um, using Rathcrohan as a very important symbol mm. of their power of, uh, and of their importance. And uh, the combination of those three factors kind of can very strongly lean you along the line of describing it as, as Connacht's ancient capital because it is the, the place where we derived our power from at yeah. that point in time. And just when you mentioned there about it being a significant place for like the elite, so the kings and things like that, what would have what would have happened if we were to go back in time and look at this place and what went on? Like what would have what did it, what would it have looked like, Elaine? Um, so I suppose it was the site of gathering for various festivals. Um, so this is the site where judgments took place and um, inaugurations as well. Um, there's yeah. 240 sites spread out over about six and a half kilometres squared. So it's quite a good representation of Irish history as a whole, mm. really, here. Um, I suppose, as Daniel said, it's Connacht's royal site, um, probably more, more ancient than the other sites as well, and one of the largest sites, yeah. uh, considering the six royal sites in Ireland. Yeah. And how would it, would it compare to Newgrange in any sense? As in, is it older? Is it... 
Um, I suppose the, the earliest deposits we have out of Rathcrown would actually be older okay. than, than the likes of Newgrange. Um, and it, it's, it's slightly different, I mean, in a sense that it's it's an entire... Bruno Boyne in Newgrange is an entire landscape in and of itself, which sees a huge amount of interest in the in the Stone Age, in the, in the, the New Stone Age in particular, whereas Rathcrown seems to see an importance that stretches throughout most of settled history in Ireland. Yeah, well... So it's, it's, uh, you can point to aspects on the ground that retain a, a, an importance for people yeah. from the earliest settled people on this landscape up until very relatively recently. And you could argue that the people that are living out there still today continue that in some respects as well. Yeah. You know? Right, great. And I suppose when did excavation, archaeological excavation begin and like what was the process? What were people finding? How did that where did that research take them? Who was here investigating it before the centre was built? Well so I suppose the um the first interactions we see with scientific research in the in the twentieth century is with uh, two competing institutions in, in UCD mm-hmm. in, and then in NUI Galway, so the national universities in, in Dublin and in, in, in Galway. So what effectively occurred then that about 1981 we see our only ever excavation to take place out of Rathcrown. So it's directed by uh, Professor John Waddell from NUI Galway. And from that point on, uh, there's been a very strong Galway-related interest in okay. what Rathcrown is doing. And then what they engaged in then after that was in the 1990s, there was a series of a different type of archaeological survey. So instead of excavation, it's more along the lines of non-invasive survey work. Okay. So when you think about it uh, from a medical point of view, say, for instance, you'd be talking about like an MRI scan or or an X-ray of the land as opposed to actually breaking ground to to explore the archaeology. So a series of different techniques and technologies were applied onto the monuments. They studied 14 monuments originally, and that allowed them to peer beneath the earth without actually breaking ground. Okay. And that allows us to inform ourselves of some of the features that aren't visible on the surface and then get a sense of maybe what they were used for. So combining all these methods together, you can kind of create a narrative or an interpretation of what's going on. So that's the beauty of it in the sense that if you look at some of the monuments out there, some of them are reaching back 2,000, 3,000, 5,500 years. Yeah never been disturbed because excavation by its nature is, is just is destruction really you. in a sense so you. um you're doing it in a very kind of a sustainable manner yeah the future generations cannot go and visit a reconstructed monument but it's actually a monument that's been handed down in okay. that fashion can study it in that fashion i understand and then how did the center come into existence in this year this time 22 years ago 1999, yeah. So I suppose, in effect, it was a case that uh, all of these survey works that were occurring over the course of years inspired the local community to kind of mm. say to themselves, maybe there's a, a benefit, an economic or an employment benefit that could be derived from the cultural heritage at our door. Because the local people in the community here are very familiar with the cattle raid of Cooley and Queen yeah. Maeve and all of these great legends and, and myths that surround the site. And coupling that with all of these archaeological monuments that you know stand and loom very large on the landscape it meant that now that there's someone else interested in us the academic community is interested in Rathcrown well maybe we can drive a, a tourism resource out of it yeah uh, so that's what started in around about 1996 I believe um, that's when the community started to come together to think about different ways in which they could harness the, the heritage value of the area for economic potential so that led then to the construction of the visitor centre in 1998 and 1999, okay. it was established then very soon as our anniversary, the 31st of October. Yeah. 1999, it was established. Yeah. And Elaine, you're a tour guide. So when visitors come here, uh, what can they expect from a tour? Um, so I suppose the, the tour itself, it would include uh, access into the museum exhibition space there below us. And um, I suppose that's a good representation of some of the monuments that are spread out over the landscape here. And there's two audiovisuals. The first one, um, Daniel mentioned the geophysical surveys that have taken place here. So the first one explains that, okay. what lies beneath, if you like, Rakraham Mount and some yeah. of the archaeology here. Um, and the second audiovisual then would deal about the mythology. Yeah. Um, so a huge amount of literature associated with Rathcrohan, of course, most famously the Cattle Raid of Cooley. Um, but we've Barry McGovern actually narrating this and it just yeah. gives you a good overview of parts of the mythology, what it's involved, as well as some great aerial shots of the landscape itself. Um, I, I suppose it, it delves deep, not just into, I suppose, the cattle raid, but associations with the cave of Omanagash 
um, and its associations with the Festival of Samhain there as mm. well. And of course, we have our exhibition case that houses 35 pieces of um, artefacts that were found in and around County Roscommon. Um, so they go from the Bronze Age right up into the medieval period, and it's a good representation of domestic and ritual yeah. um, activity at this particular landscape. So I suppose as, as a community-based organisation, it's great to have these um, artefacts here. Um, they were hidden away before in storage, and, well, it's great to get them west again, really, yeah. like an on-display in the locality that they were actually found in as well. Yeah, and can you tell me a bit about some of the artefacts? I came here a couple of weeks ago when you were showing me something, and it looked like a tiny frying pan, but it wasn't oh, yeah. that. Yeah, so that would have been used um, during, I, I suppose, metal... Con- um, what's the term? Um metallurgy yeah so um i suppose you know in industrial um it was found out in the crown oak of varna crana um and um yeah just used to melt different pieces of metal uh, yeah. used for decorative purposes then as well um then of course you have the bipartite bowl um, that's from the Bronze Age period um, that was found uh, in a kist grave um, out at Grange. So it's one of 13 kists that were actually discovered. Um, that, I suppose, is my favourite piece to, yeah. to it. I suppose the, the age of it in itself and that it's survived in one complete piece. Um, you have some fossils, which I think are an unusual thing. They were found embedded into the mound of Rathcrohan. Um, those particular fossils are usually found up in County Sligo, so it's intriguing that they, you know, they took them from one site and embedded it uh, into another. Okay. Um, of course, the the crescent, the the sensor lamp. Sorry, the um, it's just uh, I suppose a stone piece, an hourglass shape, and yeah. there's a depression in the top of it that you would have put either uh, candle wax or uh, grease, perhaps, and. Um, or incense, and they would have been used during uh, various ceremonies. So, yeah. I mean, even that was found as well out near uh, Rakrahan Mound. So just, I suppose, a connection to the landscape that you can actually see proof, uh, if yeah. you like. Sometimes people need to see things visually to, to really have an over picture, an overall picture of what's going on here, really, in itself. It. Yeah. And then when uh, visitors go out on a tour, uh, what can they expect to see? Um, so we start out at the mound itself, uh, Rakrahan, um, and we just give a general overview, I guess, in the beginning, and, and then we like to talk about the cattle raid of Cooley and, and to talk about that story and its significance here. Um, so I suppose each of us, I think, sort of do narrate it a little bit differently, but okay. um, at the different stages. But um, I would take people then up to the mound, um, just again, go back in time, talk about the Neolithic, the Bronze Age, the Iron Age, um, uh, things about and then head up to the top of the mount yeah um i suppose a lot of people have said to me that they they think it's you know sort of like a blip on the landscape yet when you get to the top of it it's only f- just over five meters in height but you can actually see most of connacht on a really really clear day yeah Um, i think i've been here nearly four years and you can actually see uh Kirkpatrick. so in those four yeah. years i've actually only seen it four times <laughs> so uh the lovely irish weather but um yeah look it's just intriguing that yeah they knew to build it there and what the view they were going to get from that really yeah. in itself. Yeah. And the mound itself, um, where where in Roscommon is it? And how? what do you think its purpose was? Was it residential, ceremonial? Um, well, I suppose in the Iron Age period, we believe it to be uh, ceremonial. Okay. Um, so they would have placed, we believe, a roundhouse um, on top for a feasting hall more so than okay. anything else. Um, so, you know, as we said earlier, a site of gathering where judgments were held, fair days, basically. Yeah. Um, I suppose um, festivals associated with ancient Ireland, um, I don't like to say Celtic, um, because it's much more ancient than, okay. than what we believe to be a Celtic period. But, um, yeah, it's, it's much more ancient than that, really, in itself. Yeah. So. Great. And uh, what other monuments can people expect to see? And is there any interesting background behind that, either... Um, in a literature sense or a scientific um, research sense? Well, I suppose as we leave Rathcrohan, then we, we go by the roadway and um, we would pass Rathbeg and Rathnadarv. Um, again, they'd have significance within the literature as well. And then we'd head mm. to Owen Agat, um, and we continue the tour there as well. Um, yeah. So, of course, this is an ancient cave. Well, it's an ancient uh, ritual site, basically. Um, so it's a natural cave. It's, um, it's limestone, it's carboniferous limestone, actually. So, um, And then, of course, limestone by its nature is quite soft, so mm. you would have had this, the, the water, the flow of water would have basically carved out the, the uh, structure itself. Okay, so um, it's a natural structure? Yeah. Okay, because I, I 
I remember seeing something that it was a suturing as well. Yeah, so the suturing gives access into the main cavern itself. Yeah. Uh, suturing would have been from the medieval period itself. And of course, yeah. it contains uh, two um, stones which have our Ulm inscription. There's actually three pieces of Ulm associated with Rakrahan itself, one yeah. out in Carnfree and then two um, situated in Noan Nagat itself. Um, so the one in particular, um, it, it translates as Freyak, son of Maeve. So yeah. um, I suppose if this is, you know, regarding Queen Maeve herself, it's probably one of the earliest pieces of literature um, speaking about her. Yeah. Um, so again, it's associating the site with the importance of this great queen as well. Um, but of course, the site is also associated with another phantom queen um, known as the Morrigan. Yes. Um, so she's our shapeshifter. Um, she's our battle goddess. Um, so a, a huge amount of, of um, I suppose, intrigue and interest mm. in her really in itself. Um, so yeah. she flies over the battlefield. She's the washer at the at the fore, basically. She, of course, takes the form of a hooded crow yeah. um, and appears in the town. Uh, as well yeah oh it's so cool and yeah. the other two pieces of ohm that you mentioned there what what do they translate to well one of them in the other second piece in, in the cave it's not enough of it revealed okay uh, for it to actually be translated but daniel might be able to tell you more about the yeah. piece at karen free yeah so the piece of karen free is is very degraded as well um so unfortunately when ohm stones are uncovered there's an assumption that they can be very easily read. Okay. Um, so sometimes, uh, so like the case of the one at Onagat that isn't translatable uh, fully, it's, it's possibly because of its location as well. Yeah. So it probably needs to be excavated out to see if there's a, a continuation of the inscription that is discernible further across it. But the one at Karen Free, I think only one word could be made out um, correctly or, or, or successfully, and that was um, Maki, which is, a, is, is an old Irish version of Mock. Just okay. the son of. Okay. And you see that a lot on Ormstone. So th that wasn't exactly the most revolutionary in its in its translation. But I think that was the only word that was kind of fully yeah. acceptable out of it. But uh, it probably requires further research. It's a case that sometimes these Ormstones aren't aren't probably researched as heavily as they should be. Yeah. And it is one of the things that we want to try and get in a more mid mid to long term uh, project is is actually try and get that Ormstone. Yeah. housing museum here and maybe provide further research or ask further questions of it I suppose as mm. time goes on so that's that's one of the projects that we're tentatively working with with the yeah. National Museum at the moment and there's another project that you're um, currently working on that you mentioned to me earlier about the um, idol that was found here in Roscommon that was all over the news so I'm sure I'm sure people know what we're talking about uh, do you mind telling me a bit about that of course yeah so uh, during the the realignment works for the N5, uh, the the national route that would link Dublin to Castlebar and onto Westport, um, that that would be taking a lot of traffic away from the village here, um, and taking it away from Roscommon or sorry Rathcrohan particularly. Um, it it's actually pushing a lot of the traffic further to the north of us, and obviously as part of the 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 construction of these huge road systems. Um, there's a huge amount of archaeology to be excavated. So what they uncovered at a place called Gartnacrana, which is about two and a half kilometres over to our northeast here from the village in Tulsk, they actually uncovered a very substantial timber idol made out of oak. And this is uh, it's about two and a half metres tall. It's nearly a half metre in its width. And it seems to have stood at the edge of a, a pre-canalised version of the river Onyur, which is running to the north of Tulskwilsa. Um, so basically this was found dated to between 200 and 400 AD and it's the latest of what are, are believed to be 12 timber idols that have been found in Ireland Wow! and a, a few of them have these notched uh, carvings within them which have been suggested maybe representations of uh, ribs maybe or yeah. some have even suggested that they might have marked because sometimes they're, they're occurring in, in a group of nine that they may correspond with gestation of... of a child, um, okay. so it could be a female figure that's been provided in, in these strange abstract um, sculptures, we'll say timber sculptures. Yeah. So what, what occurred was the, the, the group, the, the, the organisation that was excavating the road, um, they're known as uh, AMS or Archaeological Manu Management Solutions, they decided to create a replica to try and, uh, I suppose, see what this would have looked like in its pomp when it was first uh, created. Uh, and as well as that, try and understand how it might weather over time or how okay. it might change over time. So it was carved in, in oak. It was carved down in Craganone, down in County Clare. And 
they delivered it up to us here at Rathcrohan for permanent exhibition about three weeks ago now. Okay. And uh, now we have it sighted um, in a very visually impactful location, just as you enter into the museum on the left-hand side. And we're currently, you know, in the middle of delivering out different design opportunities and interpretation opportunities that yeah. we can bring it to life for the visitor, more so than even what is a, a phenomenal piece of work in and of itself. Yeah. Uh, as well as that, then we'll, we'll hope to study it and try and see how it changes and how it degrades through time to try and yeah. echo how it would have looked at, at Gert when it when it was first deposited in, at the side of the lake. Okay, amazing. And I think, like, in a lot of the headlines, it was described as a pagan idol. So yeah. what would, from, like, people's research, what would give evidence of it being pagan, I suppose? So I suppose the date of it is... is okay. So immediately, when we think of Christian Ireland, we think about from the arrival of St. Patrick and on. Okay. So 5th century AD. So this was pre-Christian. Yeah. Uh, the word pagan is a difficult word, like what Elena described earlier on with regard to the Celts. Pagan and Celts are two difficult words for us as tour guides to try and be yeah. able to, to massage out with the visitor. And it's a case that, yeah, so it's pre-Christian beliefs. Yeah. And a lot of what Rathcrohan has more generally, even down to describing the cave and Owen the Goth and yeah. Samhain and so on, that's all related to our pre-Christian beliefs, some of which we're still holding on to today yeah. in, in the Global Festival of Halloween. That's, you know, harks back way back into the depths of time, even through what Elaine was talking about earlier on about assemblies and fair days. Yeah. These fair days were particular points in the year that are marking the pre-Christian Irish calendar. Yeah. So if you think of a saint's day at the end of July or early August, yeah. um, that's actually Lunasa. That's the harvest festival of the summer, uh, taking in your, your crops and your produce. And that's the point in time where you would celebrate the, the bounty that you're taking off the yeah. land. So these are things that are going back into the midst of time. But yeah, so th- when you talk about pagan, that's really what you're describing. You're try- trying to understand the pre-Christian beliefs of our ancestors in the area. Yeah. And a big um, a big attraction to this centre is that the, that there's something here that relates to the origins of the Festival Samhain. So, Elaine, would you mind telling me a bit about that? Um, so that's, again, to do with the cave of Anagash. Yeah. Um, so this is meant to be an access, an access point to the other world. Um, so this is a place um, both good and bad reside. Um, the Christian monks try to describe it as, as a gateway to hell, but I suppose personally to me that sells it short because mm. it's not just something that's associated with evil or death. It's both good and bad. You know, you can pass through alive or, or deceased. Um, I suppose it's usually, it's, it's, a, sorry, it's a liminal place as well. And I suppose as we approach Samhain, these veils between the mortal realm and the other world are said to diminish. Um, yeah. But it's it's the the evil or the negative that seems to escape, and we have all these demonic creatures that um, uh, escape onto the landscape. Um, I suppose it was one way for people to describe their their landscape, their surrounding, what was happening. We're moving from autumn into winter. Um, it said these three-headed uh, creatures escaped, um, that uh, saffron-coloured birds escaped, and their breath was yeah. meant to be really vile, withers the leaves on the trees. Um, these uh, countless pigs um, that said to uh, you know destroy the landscape, but prevents things from growing. Yeah. Um, so again, as I said, we're moving from autumn to winter. Things are stopping grow. This growth is stopped. Um, and I suppose the darkness element as well. I mean, the cave is said to be one of Ireland's darkest points, um, okay. one of three or four. Um, so really, I suppose, obviously, we, we take torches down there, but we do turn off the torch for a little bit and you can't see the hand in front of your face. Um, you, you can't really smell anything down there. It's very still. There is a constant drip of water coming in, but it's it's still, you know, it's, it's nearly... <laughs> so quiet um so i suppose that's your three senses that are knocked off kilter so you can understand again people trying to make sense of their environment yeah. why uh, you know these stories just emerged from it okay um of course there's an association as well with manon and maclear and he's our sea god so his his job if you like here at rockrohan is as a psychopomp so he guides pe- people back and forth uh, to the other world itself um so again another unique feature really yeah. of rockrohan of itself yeah, so the, 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 um, it's a really unique feature that seems to be very much steeped in uh, mythology and mm-hmm. folklore. And I suppose I'm curious about what what kind of research is behind the Cave of Cats and what does it say about Samhain in, in the past? You know, what is there any evidence of any ceremonial 
um, events that may have happened there around the time of sowing? It's it's difficult. Uh, yeah. So we have this archaeological feature. We have this archaeological feature that's very very well described, but very very abstractly described in the medieval literature and in the, in the mythological sources yeah. that Elaine is describing, the tales. So how how do you knit the archaeological monument against the literary sources and create a, a convincing and understandable narrative of what actually was going on yeah. at this site? So it's to try and knit. It's trying to pick between the two pieces that are there to try and make an understanding because we don't have any written account of a ceremony or a ritual specifically taking place that we can stand over and say, well, that's historically factual. Yeah. Um, so when you look at the archaeological monument itself, we have no evidence of torch marks, say, on the natural cave, so where they're bringing torches down and it might be providing some uh, scorching onto the limestone that's evident into the into the modern period. There's no evidence of... Uh, we've never found any artefacts down there, sir, for instance. Okay. But we haven't conducted an archaeological excavation down there either. Okay. That would be one of the things that would be interesting to see. One of the things we're attempting to do at the moment with, with UCD, the Department of Geology, is specifically to try and see if we can date some of the calcite deposits okay. that are within the souterrain, so the, the artificial, the man-made passage. Because the man-made passage, we would believe, to be of early medieval date, yeah. so roughly between about the 6th and 9th century, probably. But uh, we want to get a more accurate date for that, because then that will tell us that our ancestors decided to attach an entrance onto... Uh, a very fabled mythological space, yeah. this access point to the Irish other world, but they're doing it in a period in time when Christianity is already on the island. Okay. So if we can get a, a concrete, and a, excuse the cliche, but a concrete date yeah. from within the fabric of the souterrain, it's going to really revolutionise what we can understand our early medieval ancestors were doing at Ornagoth yeah. and maybe give us a hint or an idea as to what the, the ceremonies and the rituals might be corresponding with. Okay. Because as Elena lighted to with the Ormstone, the Ormstone, Orm writing is coming to Ireland with the advance of Christianity okay. and Roman influence. So yeah. the, the actual alphabet being used is a Latin alphabet. So when you consider the fact that Queen Maeve is mentioned on an Ormstone, yeah. this pre-Christian queen, goddess figure really, yeah. uh, of the land, and yet Christianity is on the island. Yeah. So what's actually at play here? Our ancestors, the communities that are residing at Rathcrown and nearby, are they hedging their bets? Are they, are they praying to God and praying yeah. to the goddess at the same time? And they're the kind of little bits of threads of information that we can derive if we study this place yeah. very deliberately and kind of take in all the information that we can possibly bring to bear and be very scrutinising about what we're looking at. Yeah. And just to bring it back to um, literature, I suppose, um, can you tell me a little bit about... Um, the Tawn Bo Coolinia and how that's rooted in this place. Um, so Rathcrohan itself is said to be a starting point for the Tawn itself. Yeah. Um, of course, it involves the great Queen Maeve and Adil, her husband. And um, I, I suppose the landscape then as well picks up on some of the the, the story itself. Ratnadar, for example, is said to be um, the site where the two bulls fought. Yeah, and is um, that here in Rathcrohan? Yeah, that's uh, we actually pass by it as we head down to the cave itself. It's 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 situated very close to um, Rathcrohan itself. It's a medieval structure, but again, it's just it's associated with the Cyanide story. So, yeah. um, I suppose that's intriguing in itself that people are using the landscape to try and yeah. remember these stories. Yeah. Um, and isn't there a feature in the land? I remember seeing it in the audiovisual with um, Brian McGovern um, narrating that there's like a, a groove in the land, and the story says oh. that the the bull like tore up the soil with his tusk or something like that. Oh, it's actually the a bore. It, it's oh, sorry, it's not yeah. connected with the the ton. Okay. No. No. no I mean, it, it is. It is, and it isn't. It's yeah. regarded as being. Um, created by the rootings of a giant magical yeah. boar that came out of the cave okay. the but equally so it's said that the root of Maeve's army yeah. as she left Rathcrohan is said to have gone down through a set of features called Muk Krunov which okay. translates to meaning the, the pig ridges yeah. which may be considerably you know may be consistent with the archaeological remains of yeah. the Muklas which is what the monuments that you're describing the, the, that's mm. what we refer to them the Muklas yeah. the, the pig ridges basically Yeah. so I mean these are parts of the constructed archaeological landscape while at the same time being very, very high, highly important um, literary devices yeah. within the area as well. And that's the beauty. When we bring people out and show them the town, we're showing them the town because it's yeah. on the landscape. It's fine to read it in a book. 
Yeah. You're, you're detached from the true nature of how it's meant to be told. Yeah. It's meant to be told in a storytelling fashion. And people are pointing to the parts of the landscape that bring it to life. Mm. So when you've got the Ratnadarv or the Muklas, the Yohan, the Goth, they're all parts of the, the narrative of our ancestors and what they believe this landscape holds for them. Yeah. Wow. Um, and what else is in the landscape that tells the story of the town that you can see on the tour here? Um, so I suppose parts of it would um, would relate to Rathcrohan Mound. So Rathcrohan yeah. Mound is a very difficult monument for us to understand because uh, the local people here would, would have always considered it to have been Maeve's Palace. Okay. When the archaeological surveys were conducted here, it seems not to have been a residential site, a settlement site, particularly in the Iron Age. It's more seemingly to be along the lines of a temple or a, okay. a, a, great, a great place of worship, basically. Yeah. So you could argue that's the focal point. That's the beginning of the story. Yeah. And as you're trying to inspect it archaeologically and then literally, you, you can kind of bring up some ideas as to why some parts of the community would see it as a great residence, a Queen Maeve. Yeah. And some people would see it as a great palace, or sorry, a great a great temple or a great place of worship, maybe for a goddess of the land, in, yeah. in of effect. So then the route of the town itself, they leave Rathcrohan, they go down through what we believe to be the Muklas, and then they head east. Yeah. They head east across the Shannon, um, and then as they progress, they leave us common, they leave God's own county, as we like to call it here. Yeah. And we don't see them coming back until the bulls yeah. fight at the end of the story. But there's some of the burial mounds that are located around here have names that are related to the warriors of the town as yeah. well. So even even the townland to the south of Rathcrohan, there's one of them known as Karnakit, yeah. which is regarded as the, the burial mound. Karnakit is, is referring to a Keat Mokmoga. He's a man that ultimately killed Conor MacNassa, the king of okay. the Ulstermen. Yeah. He's buried very prominently just to the south of Rathcrohan. And as you go to the south of Tulskir, there's another burial mound attached to a great warrior known as Freyok. Yeah, I can see that from my bedroom window. Okay, well, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, uh, so there's a very vivid interaction with Cairn yeah. Freyok, which is Freyok's burial mound. This is the guy that goes and fights Cúcullin in the town as well. Um, and he has his own great long back story. He has his own cattle raiding story. Yeah. Area. He seems to be a very important part of the Connacht landscape, of the Rathcrohan landscape. And uh, he looms large in the her- historic narrative as well. But even Roscommon, more generally, going down to the outskirts of Roscommon town. Yeah. Um, there's a there's a car- there's a Carana uh, Brickna or Carn Brickna, and that's the townland that refers to the burial mound attached to a great Ulster poet, okay. a very malicious and notorious figure called Brickru, and Brickru is said to have been the referee at the bullfight at the end of the, s- the right. town, and that's where he sees his end. He gets trampled yeah. by the two bulls, um, and then even the story been recovered is, is, is kind of recounted in the early passages of the town and and if if you believe the narrative uh, the story is actually recovered from the the shore of a lake and that lake is known as Ain Loch okay. which is actually Loch Nanan where Loch Nanan Park is today yeah. in Roscommon Town beside Roscommon Castle and it's said to have been collected from a great exiled king of Ulster who's buried on the shore of Loch Nanan. Okay. So he comes up out of his burial mound. I don't know what state he was in at the time, <laughs> but he recounts the whole of the story to a poet. Okay. And that's how the town is recovered. So the town is a very, very important part of the common landscape yeah. generally. I mean, even the brown bull of Cooley goes back to Cooley via Athlone. Yeah. And he drops some of the Finn Benock at Athlone. So this is, we're seeing a huge kind of encapsulation or kind of a, a picturing of, yeah. of, of the Roscommon landscape uh, yeah. in the process of the telling of the town. So when people talk about the Ulster cycle, probably really should be talking about a Connacht cycle. Or even Connacht, yeah, cycle uh, yeah. Um, and I wonder, just in a more like realistic sense then, like these burial mounds, these places, these monuments of great history, like a lot of them, they're on like farmer's land. So how do we preserve them and appreciate them while respecting people's homes, I suppose? So, a very good question. I mean, it's a case that the farmland around Rathcrohan, if you take Rathcrohan Mound as the focal point, yeah. you're talking about 60 farmers yeah. in a very small area. And that means that 60 farmers are all trying to generate some sort of an income or a living from a land that's replete with archaeological features, which yeah. is a huge limiting factor for modern agricultural practice from the point of view of you can't reseed, you can't heavy plough, you can't yeah. even build a house in some parts of Rathcrohan. So it means that 
the archaeology is actually a limiting factor for a lot of the local people in the modern period. Yeah. Um, so what we tried to achieve actually in the more recent past is we established a unique farming project out of Rathcrohan. We received a million euros off the Department of Agriculture for a five-year funded project that allows us to provide some sort of a sustainability um, payment to the farmer, okay. while at the same time it's their job to protect and enhance the archaeological features and the cultural landscape that they're custodians over and yeah. they mind. So that's been a very good positive impact on the local area. And as time progresses, we would hope to extend that project beyond the core of Rathcrohan because yeah. the limits of the budget, it meant that we were only allowed to give it to a certain cohort of farmers, financially speaking. Um, but if we're seeming to be successful and if we can persuade Europe and the Department of Agriculture that we're successful in what we're trying to do in preserving the archaeology, yeah. it means that we may be able to extend it over larger parts of the Midrus Common area around Tulsk, yeah. around Karen Free, around Ardakillen in time. So that's that's one of the things we're working on at the present. Yeah. Um, but more generally, I mean, uh, having archaeology on your land, you have a requirement to protect it. You're, yeah. you're not allowed to disturb it knowingly. You're not allowed to dis- destroy it. And it meets with heavy fines and, and, and prison okay. sentences if you're convicted. Yeah. So it is behooving on us because the archaeology is our heritage as a people yeah. uh, to, to take care of it and mind it and uh, bring it on to the next generation as good a nick as it's been handed okay. to us. So it's a very important thing for us to be able to understand. So from anyone from a farming background that might be listening, if you're not familiar with the possibility of having archaeology on your land, yeah. there, there's a website, archaeology.ie, where you can okay. actually pinpoint your land holding and you can see if there's a little oh, red right. dot on it. And if there's a red dot on it, it means that you have an archaeological feature on your land. Okay. Or in your vicinity, depending on where you're looking. Yeah, it, it reminds me, you know, we're coming close to Halloween, it reminds me of, like, horror films where they find out that the house is buried on an ancient burial site. Um, do you ha- Is there any other future endeavours for the centre that you're allowed to talk about? <laughs> um, you know, you mentioned trying to date the... Um, the chemicals yes. in the... In the calcite, yeah. The calcite, and you mentioned... Um, you know, looking after the the land, and you mentioned um, investigating the idol. Mm-hmm. Any any other projects that you're working on? Trying try and flesh out the centre. Um, we're currently working on a walking trail. Okay. The area. So we're trying to see if we can uh, develop a, a waymark walking trail of a similar standard to what you'd expect for, say, the Suck Valley Way or, or yeah. that type of, type of thing. So that's in a in a fairly advanced stage at the moment. So we're, we're trying to promote that and try and get people interested in in. Seeing it as as a part of the, okay. the area, so it's going to be thirteen kilometers. We have a feasibility study completed for it and the whole lot, and permissions granted by the farmers in question and stuff like that. So yeah. that'll be a big project for us to get off the road, and kind of get completed as well. So that will be one thing. I don't know if anything else. We're, mm-hmm. we're always at something. Yeah. You know. Um, yeah. That, and with the with that thing. walk, um, would it be a case that people can see monuments? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So what we would what would, I have it in my mind's eye at least is that. It's going to allow someone that doesn't have the time or mightn't have the interest of coming with a guide. Yeah. They could start in the car park of Rathcran and walk six kilometres to the south of, and see yeah. 20 monuments and then go six kilometres to the north of, of the car park and see another 20 monuments. Yeah. And it allows them to have a deep dive into the archaeology, into the into the landscape. Yeah. And then we would also offer, hopefully, if we did get it completed, we would be offering maybe a tour a week yeah. that brings you on a three to four hour walking route through the entire landscape with the guide and and get a sense of the place from that Brilliant. point of view so kind of what we're trying to do is fill in all the gaps so it's a case that um, one of those trails would hopefully be suitable for buggies and for for wheelchair exactly, accessibility yeah. as well um because one of our major issues is that because rathcrohan is this farmed yeah. grassland yeah i mean it's very difficult for someone that might have a mobility issue to be able to get out on, on site yeah. so they're limited to going and visiting mm-hmm. the museum which they yeah. might necessarily want to do so we're just trying to kind of make make sure that we're catering for every demographic from someone that wants to visit yeah. the site for 20 minutes or visit the museum for 20 minutes through to someone that wants to stay in the area for for two or three days and yeah. walk, walk the land and stay in the area maybe eat locally and exactly slow tourism mm-hmm. basically yeah um do you mind telling me a bit about the tours and maybe how someone can organize to come down here uh what they can expect from a tour how they can best prepare and especially with halloween coming up um, yeah. How would the tours look any different or are they special in any way? Um, I suppose the best way is to have a look at our website, Perfect. Um, and you can book online there. Um, I suppose 
you know, there's the you can go in and click the calendar and um, but make your booking, your reservation there. What we would say, of course, is any of the tours, you make sure you're appropriately attired for this lovely Irish weather. Yeah. Uh, I suppose bring what did they say, uh, sunscreen and uh, rain gear and hope for the best. Yeah. Um, wellies. Uh, definitely, because you're walking in through grassland, um, yeah. so your feet will get soaked. Flip-flops are not appropriate. <laughs> um, I suppose then for cave entry in itself, um, basically waterproof clothing. We can't stress enough how mucky it is down there. Yeah. Um, so uh, even accessing the cave, I mean, you know, you, you have to you have to sit down and um, sort of manoeuvre yourself down the cave so you'll end up mucky. Um, this is something I think people think that we're, we're making it up. Yeah, um, it's nasty it, work. Absolutely. Okay. And we've, we've recently actually did a video to try and emphasise, it's up on our website as well, to try and emphasise to people to basically just dress appropriately for our weather. Yeah. Um, so, and we've also done a virtual tour actually uh, earlier on in the year that will give you access uh, to a good overview as well of the site. And it, it gives you an idea of what you're letting yourself in for I guess as well going into the cave as well yeah. you know you're going to have to crouch down and whatnot but it's well worth it when you get down to the end yeah. um, and experience the cave itself and the landscape the mound itself Rathcrohan it's just fantastic but mm. yeah the website is probably the best um, avenue there or if you want to give us a call as well that's we'll always take your call for Halloween tours, what mm-hmm. can what can people expect? Um, so we've also put on for Halloween an extra tour that just goes exclusively to the cave itself. Okay. So we, we talk about the origins of Samhain itself and how yeah. it started, its association here at Shrek Um So uh, again, just to, to give advice on clothing and, and whatnot. Um, yeah. But again, it's online booking for that. Great. Um, so. And all ages can come, kids. Yeah, well, I suppose mobility would be a key, but again, we hope that the virtual tour will allow people to have a good experience of Of the cave itself. Yeah. When it comes to traditional traditions of Halloween that we know of today, um, I think there's this, you know, there's this narrative that Halloween has been glorified, Americanized, Mm -hmm. but are there any traditions that we might see kids doing today that actually tie back to Rathcrohan or something that... It's related um, to this area. Some of the divination practices, like I, I know I was reading somewhere recently about rituals and them coming together, yeah. um, but even just feasting, and they would, um, I suppose, plan ahead for the year. So this was seen as some sort of a prophecy, and maybe this is where the divination idea comes from in itself. Um, I, I suppose there's loads of stories in regards to yeah. trying to predict the future and that, whether that's a good thing or not, I don't With know. With the ring and, yeah. like... Yeah, yeah. The, the silver ring on the palm and the ring in the barn brack. Yeah, so there's a couple of things. I don't know if you could relate it back exclusively to Rathcrohan, but yeah. I mean, it's a Halloween tradition, a Samhain tradition in itself that, yeah. you know, you're trying to predict the future. So there's the ring, um, you'll get married, um, a rag is you'll be poor. Yeah. Um, a button is meant to be you'll be single, a, a bachelor. And then a, a thimble, I think traditionally it was for a spinster. But I think yeah. there's also a thing for a stick that you'll be beaten by your partner. So oh, and a holy medal. A holy medal. <laughs> they didn't as well. hold back. No, they were really, you know, visual about the whole thing. Um yeah, and the holy medal that you'd take bows basically yeah. as well. But I suppose that's one thing um that you would see at at Samhain as well is that especially the Eve is that you leave the fire going, that um mm. there's a place left for the dead to return. Um, you leave a light in the, in the window that you're trying to attract good as opposed to bad yeah. um, and you leave a, a, a seat by the fire basically as well that you're welcoming past somebody that's deceased as oh, well nice. I know there seems to be different traditions in different areas or they're, yeah. they're similar but they're played out a little differently I think in some areas you leave a, a setting at the table as well Yeah. Um, so it's, it's quite intriguing itself how it all came yeah. about really you it know? is it really is there's so much yeah. uh, to it it's such a rich um, festival yeah. and time of year and I suppose as well with the cave of cats you know the legend is yeah. that the cats the birds the horrible beasts mm. come up from the other world out through the cave of cats and cause terror to the land and is that related to trick-or-treating well you're, you're the idea is that you're these things are coming up they're going to to they're going to do things to the landscape and okay. that these demonic forces though might grab you back down basically to the other world steal you down yeah so that's why you should actually dress up or disguise yourself i see yeah so, so. i suppose traditionally it was soot on the face or masks made out of rags and things like that like yeah. it was it was meant to be funny or scary basically like you're you're trying to disguise yourself from something demonic so it's an excuse to be demonic I suppose for one night of the yeah. year 
you know. Yeah, brilliant. Back there for Heritage Week, we tried to focus on, I suppose, more recent stuff, uh, the cultural heritage. Okay. We've some new exhibition panels um, where we featured an artist and... Um, um, we had two local yeah. people very high renowned, would be Percy French and oh, yeah. uh, Roderick O'Connor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Percy French being from Clooney Quinn and, and Roderick O'Connor from Ca- uh, Castle Plunkett. Yeah. And then we also um, interacted with uh, a famine village um, at Drimna, which is just outside the village to the south of us here, yeah. um, which there's very little remnants of it on the ground left today, but was a very vibrant population and a settlement prior to the famine. And then we also just um, marked the the huge arch- um, agricultural um, importance that this area held yeah. from deep into prehistory, which is one of the major reasons why Rathcrown where, is where it is, the fertile landscape that serves as the the starting point for it all, yeah. uh, up until the modern period where, you know, Midras Common and around Tulsk and Rathcrown is a very, very important agricultural community that we're trying to safeguard into the future with our farming project, but it's something that we need to be proud of and recognise as well. Absolutely. Um, just a couple of more uh, technical bits before we wrap up. Is there any, you mentioned the website, mm-hmm. but I wonder, can listeners maybe get involved through Facebook or Instagram? Yeah, Keep we, updated? Have, we have Facebook, Instagram and Twitter Brilliant. On, on the go there recently. They're very active, yeah. yeah. Brilliant. So, <laughs> so they can keep up to date. Absolutely. And we had an opportunity down. there a few weeks ago to take over Heritage at Work um twitter account so that was a good way as well just to give a basic idea of not so much i suppose rock crown itself but what we do in heritage itself from you know bringing tours out to serving coffee or whatever needs be answering questions or um looking up books and and things like that and yeah uh, so it gave us a good i suppose it gave people a good overview of what's actually involved in heritage you know yeah you know, I suppose then I had great fun doing the Halloween decorations as well. Yeah. You know, even things like that, childish yeah. things like that. Like, but that was that was intriguing in yeah. itself. Or Daniel having to get into the water to uh, instill the idol. Oh yeah. Yeah. So that was an experience. All I got to do was take photographs of that. <laughs> I got the easy part. But um, you know, aspects like that, I suppose. Yeah. It's, you know, it, it is fun. Yeah. And would you encourage, because like when I tell people where I'm from, they always say, oh, I go I go through there on the way yeah. to Sligo or on the way to Dublin or Galway or whatever. Yeah. And would you encourage people to like, because, you know, the place is the place is lovely and bright, like it stands out. Would you yeah. encourage people to pop in, uh, have a look around? Of course. Yeah. yeah. I mean, what, what we're what we're trying to achieve here is we're trying to create a, a very vibrant place for people yeah. to call in be it even just to pick up a toy for for some of the children as yeah. they're passing through through to someone that just wants to have something to eat for lunch yeah. or pick up an interesting book or spend the day immerse yourself in the place yeah. it just depends on what you're looking for i mean the hidden heartlands is, is the tourism proposal under false ireland that we're working with at present and i mean the whole of us common is yeah. in the hidden heartlands and it's a phenomenal resource that we have from a tourism point of view that's Absolutely. completely untapped and mm. all of our visitors that come to us go away can bowled over by, by yeah. what's on in, in this county that's kind of thought thought you know forgotten about in some respects mm, yeah. um from a tourism point of view. And you see you see it through our TripAdvisor reviews, you see it through the initiatives that the Roscommon County Council are working with presently with, with the tourism officer, with the new website. Yeah. Um we're we're in a great place going forward from the point of view of attracting visitors. Yeah. And we just need people to stop in Roscommon and stop in the local area and find out where Queen Maeve came from and, exactly. and, and is buried and, and is buried, buried very yeah. important to note yes uh, so <laughs> yeah. yeah like I mean that that's what we, we we're coming we're striving year on year you know 2019 yeah. pre-pandemic we had 22,000 visitors through the door yeah. so it's a case that we're just building on that and trying to sustain ourselves and sustain the village in some small way as well exactly and the local area and try and you know use heritage as a means of, of encouraging sustainable employment in the area brilliant Brilliant. Um, I think that's a great place to, to end it, to wrap it up. Elaine and Daniel, thank you very, very much for coming thank on you. today. Thank you. And um, yeah, you can hear more from these guys on their website. And in a couple of minutes, I'll be letting you know uh, where you can find them online. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you. Thanks. There you have it. The lovely convo with Elaine Conroy and Daniel Curley. Thank you again so much to them and to Rathcroft and Visitor Centre for having me today for that lovely chat. Um look it's all there this is why we are the best county in ireland um i'm not going to keep you much longer because i'm running out of time because this needs to see and miss misha she would be like molly come on we have to wrap it up now um, so you can find the guys on rathcrotton.ie 
You can book your tours through there. There's a drop-down menu on the right-hand side of the site. You go down to tours and events. And you can go into Discover, the second one down. You can go to Virtual Rathcrochan, where you can see it all there from the comfort of your own home. You can go down to Guided Tours or Self-Guided Tours. There's so much on the website. There's directions to get there. There's the office number. There's the email. There's the links to their social media. Loads of pictures to show what it's like in there. You can also look at the drop-down menu for education tours if you w- if you have a class in a secondary school or a primary school or even in college that you want to organise a group outing for. And then there's tours and events as well. And that one contains information about the origins of Sound Tour and Halloween at Rathcrohan and events and what's on and how you can get involved. Uh, they're also on Twitter. Their username is just Rathcrohan. Same as on Instagram, just at Rathcrohan. And Rathcrohan Visitor Centre on Facebook. They're very good at keeping things up to date and posting about the Puka Festival. Thank you again so much to Daniel Curley and Elaine Conroy for having me today and for that wonderful chat. I really hope you got something from it. Don't forget that you can find us at Unfairness Pod on Instagram and Twitter. And of course on Facebook, In Fairness Podcast, where you can get in touch. And please don't forget to rate the episode that you listen to if you're listening on Acast follow it subscribe to it whatever you need to do recommend it to a friend share it around Samhain is it's so Irish and it's so Roscommon and we need to make more people aware of that Um, that's all for now I suppose I have some spooky scary stories that Elaine so kindly sent on to me and they are collected from folklore commissions and local publications they're pretty spooky so don't listen to these alone um, in the dark. I am going to make it a little bit theatrical. I'm going to give it all I have. I have. I got Bernard to compose some spooky music for me. Thanks for that, Bernard. Um, so we're going to... I'm going to... I want to create something a little bit atmospheric. I want to go back to the original plan, which was to create theatre at Rathcrohan and use this research, which was the interview and that connection, to... Um, to make some art thank you so much to elaine for sending them on to me and thank you for listening i'll i'll guide you out of the snow with some uh, immersive storytelling the phantom pig In the year before the First World War, a large black pig appeared to a young boy and girl in Kiltrustan townland. No adult could see this massive beast, but it continued to appear to local children for some days. There is a local legend the appearance of such a pig would mean disaster unless a six-fingered man could be found to shoot the pig with a silver bullet. No such man could be found, but the pig stopped its appearances as suddenly as they started. The Great War broke out soon after. We have no information as to whether any of the relatives of those children suffered in the Great War. Interestingly, in this area, close to Strokestown, there is a townland called Mokina, or, in Irish, Mokianach, Swine Haunt. The Tulsk Ghost At the beginning of the last century, A woman named Biddy Cook and her eight children lived in a cottage in the field that is now the car park for St. Etna and St. Fidelma's church. Biddy's husband deserted them and, unable to pay the rent, the landlord ordered them to be evicted. This order was carried out by the RIC and Biddy and her eight children were left to starve on this roadside in the freezing 
February weather. Neighbours who tried to help with a makeshift shelter were sentenced to a month in Sligo jail by the authorities. Their return was marked by cheering crowds. Biddy had sent her children to safety with distant relatives and friends to avoid them being prosecuted for assisting in the Vic D. But Biddy herself died of exposure to the bitter weather and from starvation. In the 1950s, Biddy's ghost was seen at the crossroads in Tulsk, trying to stop cars as if asking for a lift. These apparitions went on for several days and people were frightened to go out, so a special ceremony was performed and her spirit was sent into a tree that grew on the site of a former house. The apparition stopped. Then, in the 1980s, she was seen again, standing at the crossroads, stepping out as if to stop passing cars. One couple were convinced they had killed this poor woman, so sudden and clear was her appearance. It happened that, a few days before these new sightings, the tree where Biddy's spirit had been sent had been cut down. Shigira The Hill of the Fairy Sheep A story is told of an old woman whose sheep strayed onto the landlord's land and were taken from her as punishment, leaving her destitute. She swore to have her revenge on this wicked landlord, saying the one thing he wanted, his heart's desire, he would never get. When this man was on his deathbed, he was desperate to be reconciled to God. A priest was called to hear his last confession before he died with his wickedness still upon him. The priest hurried along the road to reach him in time, but all through the night, his way was blocked by a flock of fairy sheep, which prevented him from reaching the man until it was too late. The Adventures of Nira at Samhain, King Alil at Kuchen offered a reward of his great jewelled sword to anyone brave enough to put a wicker band around the foot of a hanging corpse. Only Nira offered to go. As Nira approached him, the corpse asked for water, saying he was thirsty before he was Nira allowed the hangman to climb onto his back and carried him to a house around which flames sprang up to stop them. They tried another house, which was then surrounded by water. The third attempt proved safer and the corpse drank three cups worth, spitting the last one out on the householders, killing them. Nira put the hanged man back on the gallows. Going back to court, Nira found the palace on fire and the inhabitants decapitated. Nira rushed to the cave of Kruchen in search of the severed heads and followed a fairy army inside. He met a woman from the shield who eventually revealed that the destruction was just a vision of what might be. To prevent this happening, he was advised to demolish the hill. To do this, he called on Fergus. Nira escapes with the fairy woman and some treasure, including the crown of Bruin, which had been hidden at the bottom of a well where Nira had been drawing water for his fairy wife. 
So a night, then, could be a time of visions and warnings, a time to meet the dead. But beware that the dead are not always pleasant. The Bone Road. There was once a terrible battle just to the west of Cruhan. The number of all those who died were said to have been so many that the bones from their bodies were used to make the road from Vaslith to Rathcrohan. Brilliant lights can still be seen over this road on frosty autumn nights. The Headless Horseman At the White Gates in Clashagani, a Headless Horseman is said to appear. He hunts down anyone reckless enough to wander about in the early hours of Halloween. The monster of Pul Bui. Just like Loch this small lake near Clashagani has its own monster which only appears at Halloween. So, if you escape the headless horseman, don't let the monster rise up out of the water and get you.